Welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Tool, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today we're joined by Zach Day. He is the director of custom research and analytics at MRA. We're talking to Zach about how you use data within a business to drive better decisions. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, please take some time, leave us a comment, leave us a review. We truly appreciate it. Enjoy the episode. All right, Zach, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So as a way of getting started, do you want to just tell everybody about who you are, where you're working and, and what you do for a living? Yeah, perfect. So I'm Zach Day. I'm the Director of Surveys, Custom Research, and Analytics at MRA, the Management Association. Uh, We're an employer association that focuses on uh, working with members on providing good experiences for uh, their employees, but also making sure that their organizations are more successful. Uh, We believe that, you know, through some common themes, which mostly are through human resourcing, that we have some good application, good information to supply to our members to help them apply to their organization. But we also can help them with some of the direct help services that we offer, uh, whether it be upskilling and reskilling through our learning development with their staff or doing uh, some more of the traditional HR projects and focus recruiting, retention, reference and background investigation, custom surveys like I work on, as well as our 24-7 hotline of just resources to talk to an HR professional. So we are locally based in the Midwest, surveying the Twin Cities as well. And uh, we're you know excited to, to work with different organizations, and I'm excited to talk to your audience today. Great. So we're going to talk about data and analytics and, and how HR can use it to drive decisions within their organization. So I think a good place to start is to talk about what companies need to do first. There's there's so much data out there. I think you know we hear stats of you know there's more data collected on a daily basis now than there was in total, right? Twenty years ago. So yeah. uh, talk about some of the challenges that companies have in collecting data and making sure that the decisions they ultimately make are based on good data that's coming into the organization. Yeah, and I, I, the famous quote that you're talking about is 90% of the world's data is collected in the last two years, which is just a phenomenal stat if you really want to think about it. Uh, in the entire population, the entire history of the world, you know, data and technology has advanced so quickly to the point that you know, within two years, we have a vast majority of it. And I th- totally understand why organizations get caught up in the big data conversation uh, with the competition that's out there, like the Amazons, like the Google, like Apple, that really does give an experience that not only from their customer base, but from their employee base, really using data to its advantage. And those corporations that are excelling at it are really pushing the boundaries of what you should be doing within an organization. Data is one of those things where everybody kind of understands on paper what it looks like but not necessarily the next step out of that. And that's where, you know, I've cut my teeth in my career is being able to uh, apply and interpret that information. So first steps within organizations, I think is around the understanding of the commitment that goes into what it means to be a data-driven decision organization. And that is through a, a practice and understanding that it does take time, it does take effort, and it does take a culture of supporting that effort to really get to a point where you can use that information to your advantage. 
So first steps are a lot of what has been occurring in businesses already. Digital transformation. So taking the analog experience of pen and paper or the you know conversations that have and you know uh, in person where even now we're talking virtually, you know, a couple hundred miles away, and that's a transformation that exists. We're recording this information. But that has been happening. It's now understanding what can be collected and also what should be collected in an organization. And that really takes strategy and that takes commitment to understanding the details that go into how that information is collected for your business. So if I heard you right, kind of step one is, hey, we need the company to actually agree that we want to make data-driven decisions. Exactly. It's always one of those things where you want to see the end result before putting in the dirty work to see the, the full results. Okay. Um, yeah, the first step is really a commitment to saying data is going to be a strategy for us. And I think, you know, you have a history, and I'm not suggesting that data is a new thing. Uh, you have a history of people in influential positions, executives that have gotten research and gotten information from different sources that have applied it to their organization. Think of, you know, the Harvard Business Journals of the world that have those real life tangible evidence that can be applied to other organizations. And that has been a practice for, you know, many decades as successful operation. Data is now kind of one of those new new kids on the block that's really cool, that it has one of those experiences where you want to get involved and you want to get uh, an experience of it, but it is something that has to be learned. And same thing of looking at those resources like the Wall Street Journal, the Harvard Business Journal, and understanding and being able to apply it to your organization it takes commitment and ultimately, if you want that to be done throughout the organization, it takes a culture of being able to suggest and encourage people to take those steps of understanding what they're collecting and why they're collecting it. Mm-hmm. And, it well, and I imagine that if I looked at a set of data and, and you looked at it and Jess looked at it, we may come to three different conclusions on what that means. And right. is that something that you work with, with your clients? Like, do I need a consultant or is it a good idea to have somebody come into our organization? Because I, I kind of want to skip past the idea of like, how do we collect the data and, and all the <laughs> systems? Because I mean, I don't think anybody wants to listen to it. Maybe they do, but um, not here. But what? let's say we get it. We're able to get it. We're able to get clean data. How do we make decisions based off of it? Yeah, it, this is uh, one of my most common questions I get is, you know, how do we how do we look at information and make a, a, an analysis and interpretation of it? I often draw people back into their high school English literature class. So think about the last time that you read a book and had to do a book report about it. You sat in a discussion class and you had to be put on the spot of saying, OK, you just read Jane Eyre. You read this excerpt. What is your interpretation of what is being said? Apply something new to this that you haven't experienced before or that hasn't been said before. And you kind of put on the spot to say, tell us something about it. Tell us what you read. Data is no different. Data is just the same thing as language, the same as reading a book. It's just training your brain a little bit differently to see the themes and see the commonalities amongst the different data points that produce the same experience as you would read a text and apply your own interpretation to it. So yeah, I, I expect that 
you know, Mike and Jess, you'll have different interpretations of what I would see out of, you know, a spreadsheet of information, but that's kind of the fun part of it too. That's why collaboration exists. And that's why it's important to have a culture around collection and use of data, because that's when you can start to see the influence and then also the experiences of other individuals in the organization to correctly apply uh, what you're trying to accomplish using that information. Yeah. And I, you know, using the example of the three of us looking at the data differently, you know, I obviously, as I'm looking at the data would be wearing my human resources hat and a business and a business leader might be wearing a revenue hat or, you know, enter in business goal here, you know, they'd be looking at that specific data. So, you know, kind of along those same lines, tell us a little bit more about the types of data that you're typically focusing on and are you seeing with your customer bases that it would be a variety of inputs that would benefit those different parties, meaning a member of the human resources team, business, maybe finance, accounting, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And it's human resources uh, to a certain extent has not had the attention or the tender love and care that other business operations have gotten towards technology. It's one where we have HRIS systems that definitely benefit and help in terms of some practices. Payroll has been another that you know has had some technology advancements to it, but there are still the very transactional conversations, the nuances that exist, especially when it comes to the world of information through policy and um, you know compliance that changes literally hour by hour, it seems like sometimes. Those are still kind of a, a manual process to it. But when it comes to you know how HR can work and apply into the organization using data, you know, an HR business professional is always going to partner with the, the leaders of the organization towards their goals. And it's really the organizational KPI goals that become a part of the evaluation process of the staff itself. And I think that's a critical role in the HR business professionals, you know, responsibility is to understand those metrics because it helps influence how performance is actually calculated and takes a little bit more of the qualitative with the quantitative of the, here's my experience working with this employee, but then provides a ground to have an evaluation exist. So I think the HR professional and business partners is critical in understanding what are the organizational metrics and organizational goals in terms of what we're collecting, because then it does provide a unique perspective of how that applies to the humans that are involved with the organizations. So Jess, your, your question, what have I seen in terms of data points that you kind of span across you know, multiple different um, organizations? Uh, it's, it's humans. It's humans that really are the things that span across all different organizations. Each organization is going to have its own requirements. It's going to have its own unique perspective. It's going to have the things that matter most to them because that's what makes up their culture and makes up their business. But the people that exist in it, the people that work within it, the people that have good and bad days within it are going to be the ones that affect that overall understanding of the progress and the success of it. And the more that the HR business partner has an understanding of what those metrics are, the better they can help be a partner to those uh, leaders and managers in terms of making those uh, decisions around the organization. So going back to collecting the data, coming to, you paint a picture and everybody has different opinions. How would, and we'll talk just specifically to HR, you know, I think of, I think of people looking at 
turnover reports by location and age and tenure and, and whatnot. And we have that data, but we don't necessarily know why that's happening. We understand what's happening because the data is suggesting it. How do people take that and then come to a good conclusion or a good action item to change what they're seeing within the data? And do you guys help with that? Can they benchmark against other organizations? Absolutely. Um, so to answer the first part of your question, you know, one thing is to collect the data and, you know, we've touched on that. The second is to understand the why it's important. And those, those metrics, especially when it comes to turnover, uh, you, you do want to look at multiple years worth of information so you can look at what we call trends. Trends tell you something. Trends give you interpretations. They give you insight as to occurrences that are happening. And that's when really the application of your experience comes into play. I have always said that data analysis is just the validation of gut feel because everybody has the understanding of what is happening within their organizations. We need information and we need data to support what's happening. So take, for example, turnover uh, survey uh, that we just did as MRA. Um, they just published actually a couple of weeks ago where we looked at the role of COVID in terms of the turnover that was happening. And we were expecting that out of 2020 that we would see the turnover rate and the percentage go up and increase that we're going to have more turnover. That's just because we've been exposed in terms of media, in terms of other challenges of just what's happening within organizations that we would expect there was going to be higher mark. But actually we found the opposite. We found that we reduced the turnover percentage to 21.2% in 2020, which mimics a 2017 total. And that's looking at the trend of you know, what, we're, what we're seeing out of this. Prior to the pandemic, prior to 2020, we saw the turnover percentage going up and up and up. It kept on increasing from 2016 all the way through 2019, you know, pretty consistently in terms of you know, turnover. And we interpret that as just the high demand for talent in the marketplace, that there was high demand where it caused more opportunities, which caused change. And that's why we saw more positions opening up throughout the year. COVID kind of threw everything into a halt and stopped and gave us a really interesting variation as to the trend that we're seeing before. If we didn't collect the information for the last couple of years, if we didn't see and apply our interpretation that talent was the reason why the turnover was increasing more and more, we would look at 21.2% as standalone in 2020 and not really have a comparison as to what that result really means. We couldn't really say that, you know, organizations last year tended to be a more on a conservative approach towards their, you know, involuntary turnover. And we think that employees took a more conservative approach to their voluntary turnover. If we didn't have that information previously, we would have just kind of this isolated piece of information, not really know how to do or what to apply with it. But knowing that we have the history of that, uh, we had, you know, talent being the predominant driver of turnover through the last couple of years, COVID maybe be a pause. Now we can then take that information and apply that perhaps 2021 is going to be a significantly higher turnover because we're going to have what I call probably a backlog of turnover that's to be expected where now that 2021, things are gonna be a little bit more confident in terms of the marketplace. 
you know, we are starting to have more vaccines. We're starting to see recovery occur is now the time where people were considering in 2020, now in 2021, where they start to make those changes and they start to see things that are happening out of it. That in itself is kind of what's making sure you're collecting good data, but also understanding the history of what you are collecting that allows you to see those reactions and see those results and apply them for the future state to make action and make claims on the things that you are collecting. That's really good. And I think it goes back to the culture of data-driven decisions is, you know, moving forward, it's not, things aren't going to change. And not, not only are we collecting data, but we're also now using it three years down the road to make decisions or understand it better because we've been collecting this and we've been evaluating the data. So definitely understand that. When it comes to change with data, how long should you give it before you pivot? I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like maybe sometimes people say, we identified a problem, let's change it. And we're going to watch these charts and this data and if they don't move in three months, we probably got it wrong. We need to shift. Is there a general rule there for how long you should wait until a strategy pays off? That's a great question. And I, I will attribute back to what we talked about, that if you give a, if we gave the three of us a spreadsheet, we'd have three different opinions to it. And that truly is you know case-by-case basis of the personalities that exist. You know, Personally, I tend to be more on the aggressive side of, of predicting things, but I work with people that are more on the you know conservative side towards predicting things. And that's where a fine balance of, you know, individuals and organizations, you know, lead towards good results. Uh, but I think you do need that balance to, to occur. So, you know, hard, fast rule, you know, one data point is not going to make or break you know, uh, a, a trend. And that's really where collection and history comes into play. If you have one month of substantial revenue growth, no, you should not go and buy out a new facility or a new office, you know, see if that's sustained growth, you know, for, for that. But if you do see that, you know, a, let's say you launch a product, you know, and you see a, a, a decreased satisfaction with your organization or with your product, yeah, then take that in consideration and make quick action and make quick changes to it. It is a case-by-case basis. And I think that's what makes one a nice, uh, stable career for me because I get to make all those decisions and make all those you know points. But also the challenges of why, you know, to a certain extent, data is so important to collect is because you have the volatility that exists with just day-to-day operations. And being able to take a strategic view of everything is a, is a critical one. That goes back to, again, the culture of supporting data collection to make sure that you have those consistent points coming in. It's done routinely and you have the investment of the people that are supplying that information that it is critical, that it is important, that it is for a larger concern. You know, think about customer service as an example. Customer service is one of the best sources of data by far because it's manual and put into systems that allow you to calculate at a large level. If there's not going to be buy-in at the customer service level of why they are putting in information into a system, then you're not going to be able to reap the results in the end. It's top-down. Those that want the information up on top need to make sure that they understand that the people below understand the investment of why they're doing that information and putting it into a system so they can see the full results of it. 
So it's, it's obviously clear and you didn't have to convince Mike and I, you know, or we were convinced, I should say, prior to this podcast episode that data is important, but I'm curious from your perspective, Zach, and you had made the comment that I wrote down data is the validation of gut feel, which I really like, but in your opinion, are there times in which data validation shouldn't be used, um, you know, for I'm what's kind of circling through my head is, you know, an organization runs a high potential program or maybe like a leadership development program. And maybe there's some data points coming out of that program, such as retention of the individuals that participated in the program. But then there's maybe other sentiments that come out of it, such as the feeling of being more connected within the organization or the feeling of enhancing the culture through the learnings that occurred within that program, or maybe there's internal networking that occurs across divisions, et cetera, et cetera. And some of those things I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you can necessarily collect data on. It's just, it really kind of goes back to like that gut feeling or the sentiments that come out of come from the people that have participated in those programs. Would you agree with that or would you disagree with that? And do you feel like data has a place in every situation or that sometimes, you know, relying more on, on sentiments or feedback from individuals can be just as, as important or weigh just as heavy as data can? Yeah, Jess, that's a great question. And I think that you gave I'm going to use your example to, to um, further emphasize kind of the, 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 the culture and the identification of the measurements that you want to have. You know, you mentioned some of the anecdotal uh, evidence uh, that comes in, you know, the networking opportunities for the, you know, the uh, performance group, those satisfactory things that occur that necessarily are not going to be a bottom line dollars and cents, you know, contribution. But there's still a way in which if you want to calculate that information, if you want to have a physical number to it, you can design something to collect that. So, for example, you know, some of the research that we do at MRA is around opinion-based. And we can collect people's opinions based on a you know, strongly disagree to strongly agree satisfaction towards it. So if that's something that you are interested in seeing the full value of you know, a program that you're putting in, and you want to start to calculate some of those key, you know, initiatives or key drivers towards the satisfaction of the uh, program itself, you can design questions and you can sign systems that collect information that gives you the evidence to move forward with that. So I don't want to say that, you know, data is the end all be all. I, you know, clearly it is the interpretations and it's the, the experience that really weighs out. It's data only is there to support for when you need to have an answer to the question. It very much follows the scientific method of if you have a hypothesis, go collect your data and then see the results of it. But it's a part of that scientific process that you have to build out those measurements and those methods as well. So if you do want to collect information on those more you know, human interpersonal conversations or, or the things that are occurring to really evaluate from a statistical perspective of the programs that you have within your organization, you do have the ability to design to get information for it. And that goes again with the understanding of what are you looking to measure? What is going to be the factor? What is going to be the way in which you evaluate and calculate the success of what you're doing? And also, you know, making sure that you're evaluating for when it's not successful, because that's equally critical and equally important to understand 
the, the times that it is a failure, times that you need to improve from it. So there's always a way to calculate it. It's just a matter of shaping and framing it and putting the time and effort into documenting it. So it is going to be totaled up and calculated in a way for you to get you know answers to it. But I wouldn't be here talking to you if I didn't have the thousands of experiences of working with different, you know, different problems, different, you know, organizations, mentors of mine that have given me the examples, understanding of how this information is applied. And that really comes down to what, you know, you're talking about, Jess, you have the application, you have the experience, you have the one-on-one conversation, what I call the anecdotal evidence that supports anything and frankly does kind of trump once in a while, uh, the any kind of statistics that come in. Your gut feel, your intuition is going to be the strongest indicator of what you need to do to move forward. Now, one of the problems with that is that when you do look at information, you set up a system, it's also important to not put in what you know can exist of confirmation bias, where you are looking and putting in information and only evaluating things that you want to see that make your point solidified and ignoring everything else. I mean, that's always going to be a risk there because even if data itself, even if numbers are pure and not biased, people are. People can influence and people can take them into a different realm. So it's important that you understand the reasons to why you are putting effort into collecting information. Because if it is something that's important to you, then yes, supply the data and supply the measurements behind it but know that there are always going to be some pitfalls to that as well. Yeah. Well, as as you were talking through that, which that completely makes sense to me, I think, you know, with any program or initiative that's put together within an organization, it's important to be really crystal clear on what your objectives are, right? And if the objectives are retention or it's developing bench strength or succession planning, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and then determining from there, what is important for me to measure in order to make decisions on how we can enhance this program or things that we can remove or things we want to add to, again, enhance it going forward? And or what are just softer things, for lack of better words, such as the cultural aspect that we talked about and the feel that somebody has walking, you know, walking virtually and or physically out of a learning environment that they got from that connection with their their peers or networking within the organization. I always, you know, on that topic, I always bring up the weather to understand the difference between data and application interpretation and feel is because weather very much, if you understand that it's hopefully not going to be anytime soon, but a, you know, 20 degree day, you understand what that feels like, even though you see the the data itself, you see that it's 20, it's overcast, it's going to be a little bit, you know, wet out there. You understand you can't go outside in a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops. That's kind of the difference of what data is and the application interpretation of it. You can also go outside without any data and feel for yourself what it feels like and know I can't go out in a in t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops. So you can always make the interpretation. You always make the gut call. You always have the experience to rely on. The data only supports that and can provide more and advanced um, opportunities for you to expand on your experiences. Yeah, save me some time, right? Walking exactly. outside and realizing that it's cold and having to go back in the house that's fast. A business making a decision and not realizing it for six months may have a 
very big impact on them. Absolutely. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the confirmation bias. I was going to go there anyways, because I do think that people, they see what they want to see. But I also think that companies so badly want a silver bullet. And so they, they take data that maybe it's not enough to make a decision. And then I have an example, and this is a different company that I used to work at, and I didn't like how they did it then. And so I'm fine saying this, but they, they did data for, it was like nine months and it was only on, and I'm in sales. So it was, it was maybe 15 or 20 sales reps. And they looked back on, they said, whoever didn't hit a certain number by three months, none of them made it. And they, Mm -hmm. they, they threw that broad, brush across the organization. And it was, it made no sense because they didn't have enough data to actually support that theory. They also, there were so many other factors, what market they were in, whether it was a new market, how long the rep had been just in that profession in general. But so my question after all that is, is there a time frame or an amount of data that a company should consider before making or coming to a conclusion on that data? Yeah, and then that's a great example, Mike. You're gonna make you're gonna make me have a couple enemies for sales team managers in a minute here. But there, I've seen that before. I've heard that before, and I think what I would like to see and what I promote is not using data as a stick. It's information. It is an evaluation tool. It allows you to see things from a empirical perspective that you can use uh, within your decisions or organizations. You know, it goes back to my, my comment about our turnover survey. Without the information previous, we wouldn't know necessarily what we were seeing, you know, this past year. Where, you know, your example, Mike, starting at one point without understanding kind of what has been the history to it, and then saying we're going to put everything on an even playing field, I don't know necessarily if that is a good statistical measurement of performance. So that goes with understanding of the importance of of the history of what you're collecting and making sure that you have a sound system of collection, but then being able to apply it in a manner that is equal and fair. It's very often we do want a silver bullet, but often, you know, it's it comes at the cost of really looking in the mirror and understanding where the failures exist. And that's important for an organization to be comfortable with showcasing the areas that they're not successful in and showcasing the areas that they need improvement on, because that is going to be a part of the collective interpretation of an organization and really that culture that uses that data to see everything and see the full examples. Something that I've used more frequently, and obviously I wouldn't have had this example a year ago, but the statistics that came out with COVID and the overall organizational and frankly, universal training that has occurred with us understanding as a population of what COVID measurements and COVID numbers mean. You know, the first couple of days of, you know, infection that came out, you know, about a year ago, we needed experts and we needed some, you know, scientists to come and explain to us what is happening in terms of here are the number of cases that are, ha- that are uh, you know, documented in, you know, New York City, for example, because that was a hotbed for quite some time. You know, here are the number of new cases per day. Here is the seven-day average. Here is the percent against the population. Here, you know, unfortunately, are the, the number of deaths and the percentage of the deaths there. 
if we were to have experienced and gotten those numbers without any kind of explanation or any kind of history of understanding why it's important, we would all be lost. But now I can go on to Google that does a nice job of framing out where those statistics are. And I can now see all of those results and understand what is good and what is bad to it. And guess what? There has been a lot of bad this past year. And we needed to see that bad because we need to see now that we have a lot more progress and we're seeing more of a negative trend occurring. That's the positive news. That's what we need to hear. That's what we need to see. So it's important for us to showcase everything. It's the education of why are these statistics important to us? Here's how to understand them. Here's how to apply them. But we need to see the full set of information as well to understand the good from the bad. And I think that's where a lot of organizations falter a little bit. They don't want to show the bad because nobody wants to take care of the bad. No one wants to see that result. But it's important for us to understand as actors within an organization where the good and bad occur so we can make the interpretation and judgments and how we can personally affect those results. It's a great example. And I think everybody listening, whether you're in HR or not, can, can relate to it. In the beginning, right, we didn't know that 45% of people were asymptomatic, you know, for, for example. So, you know, when we saw numbers come out and, you know, the death rate that came with it, you know, without people to explain that, I think people jump to their own conclusions and maybe it wasn't the right one. And it is, it's interesting how that's progressed. So on the same lines of that, there are people within organizations that they don't necessarily have a background in data analytics. I mean, there are data scientists out there that's becoming more and more of a thing, but if I'm a 200 employee company and I'm an HR person listening to this and, you know, some person within the organization now has that responsibility of driving data-driven decisions do you feel like there's a lack of education around that role that you've seen within companies? Like, does there need to be more pressure on before somebody takes that role, they really need some sort of formal education in this? I don't think that there needs to be formal education. If I can give myself as an example, I'm an English literature major. I didn't plan on getting into, you know, data analytics. I happened to find this passion but I don't think there needs to be necessarily formal education. Uh, sure, I think it would have helped me early on in my career to have that, but it's not something that is necessary. I, I, I Personally, I think what has been successful for me is I've had managers and I've had mentors that have given me runway, that have given me space to try and understand and dig deep into things and take time to understand what's going on. And a, you know, a new leader or a new position uh, that has the data responsibility of interpretation and application, it, I you know, was in that, that role and in that experience. And I had to stop and you know, make sure that I took my time with it. It goes back to the, the old saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Mm. And you have to start small. You have to start with the understanding of here is what I know so far. Let me understand this. Let me take the next question. And being a disgustingly curious person, meaning that putting yourself in judgment of your, your performance and making sure you're doing the long hours to do the curiosity that is going to be the results of the, uh, you know, the, the interpretation that you want to have. You know, there's been you know plenty of time and effort that I put into it and you know sacrifices to other things that have happened. But you know, 
if if it is important and if it's something that's going to be a responsibility, one, have that conversation with your manager that you need the time in order for you to understand this information so they clearly understand what you need to be successful. But secondly, it's being curious and trying different things and looking at different results and testing with different people. Go and have a, a small group of people that you trust of looking at your information, looking at your analysis and giving you critical feedback as to, yep, this is what I th- see also, you're on the right point, or no, I don't think you're seeing this clearly. Here are some things that you can check into it. Mm-hmm. Have peers around you, but ultimately start small. You're not going to do it in one day. I still have plenty of learning myself. That's kind of the fun aspect of it, but data is changing all the time and it should be changing all the time. It's the practice and the skills of being able to ask yourself the critical questions and seeking out you know, the, the challenges and the curiosity that really gets you to a point of understanding. Yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe not additional education, but you know, if, if, if you are an organization, you're putting somebody in position, setting them up with a network of, of peers or potentially consultants, uh, because you said it yourself, you went through it, you probably, you know, skinned your knees and fell down a few times and, uh, you learn stuff that now you can teach other people, right? That's what wisdom is. And making these decisions are are critical for a business. And I would imagine if I was running a business, I wouldn't say, hey, Zach, take down this position, be curious, you're gonna fall down. Like I need you to make, right? I need you to make good decisions here. Right. So I think what I heard you say is that uh, you know, making sure that you surround your people, get a few set of eyes on these things, talk to others, build out your network, and that'll help you kind of ramp up quickly and it'll give you more confidence in the decision you make. Right. And those, you know, people in in the position they learn and have to learn how to interpret and apply information. Use your resources around you. You know, if you have a claim, if you think that you have a result, go and ask somebody that has experience to say, "Hey, I think, you know, the sky's purple today." No, actually it's blue. Okay, I'm going to go back and look at my results. It's having those communication aspects. And I, I am very, very, as a data analyst, which tends to put me more onto the you know very scientific side of things, I'm actually a very outgoing person. And I think that's been really advantageous for me to get to the position I am because I've gone and asked those questions and swallowed my pride and didn't get embarrassed by asking some of the stupid questions out there. So whether it be managers that uh, have people in those positions to understand and learn that data, make sure you give them support and give them the ear for those questions that they have or the interpretations that they want to test with you. And if you're in that position yourself where you have those challenges where you have to come up with the results, understand there's plenty of people out there that are struggling through that. It's okay. Take a breath, do what you can, start small, and make sure that you're coming up with a solution. And start there. Just start with a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you have to have that mindset going into that. If the data may not prove that you're right, like the confirmation bias, and and being able to trust that and say, you know, I'm I'm not on the right path, or what I thought is not necessarily the case. So Zach, I'm thinking about our listenership and the fact that we have a variety of HR professionals, you know, it could be an HR professional of one, it could be somebody like myself who works for a really large global organization. So given the span of amount of, 
you know, budget that might be in place for these various HR professionals, what would you recommend from a data collection perspective? Maybe even especially for those individuals that are working with smaller budgets and they may not have the funds to invest in an expensive HRIS system and are looking to get started from a data collection perspective. Yeah, that's a great question. And investment in technology is always going to be there and it's going to continue, you know, for budgets and especially from an HR department that does, that is a internal resource in, you know, a cost department of an organization. It's kind of more difficult. And I have these conversations with different people of what they can do, you know, previously. There are some really wonderful systems out there to collect information. You know, there are top of the line HRS systems. There's payroll systems that really are uh, so much more than, you know, what you could ever imagine. But obviously that's not going to be a consideration for everybody. What I discuss and what I work with, you know, uh, different organizations is making sure that they have a process in place. And that really is at the core understanding of how you can collect data and then use it is to make sure you have consistency in your process that you're using. Even if it is an Excel spreadsheet, even if you're tracking your information on an Excel spreadsheet, which you know, isn't a cost to an organization, but a, a cost that exists you know, pretty routinely throughout organizations. Even if it's just that, if you have consistency and you have input into understanding why it's important to collect that information and you are collecting that information, you can start to use that for your benefits. So if even if it is on an Excel spreadsheet, process and consistency are the things that are going to aid in, in your benefits to it. So if that becomes you know, very critical and very important, showcase then why that information is important to your sales and your operations leaders, because then they can get them investment and get the buy-in. As we've explained before, so much of data is around the education of it. Why is this important? Why do I collect this? But also why do I uh, apply it to decisions that I'm making in the organization? The more that you can show that example, the more that you can show why it's important and get influenced into you know, the investment that goes into it, the more that you can see you know, the technology advancements and the purchases that can come from it. But you know, as, as it happens, yes, everything really does start with an Excel spreadsheet. I promise you, everything really does. But it's around making sure that you're building up a case as to this is important for us to track. This is important for us to measure. Here's the consistency in which we are collecting it. But then here's how it's impacting our business moving forward, such as turnover rates, such as, you know, succession plans, such as, you know, you name it. Anything that should be documented should have a process around it. And ultimately, you need to understand the importance of the value of why you're doing it. Otherwise, in the end, you're not going to be consistent with it. So believe in the metrics, believe that what you're doing is for a benefit, and you'll see success from that. So through all of your time working uh, with folks, and I think about our listeners and some takeaways, what would you what would you try to end on, like the three takeaways that our listeners can can use to take action on this? Yeah, you know, themes that I've talked about throughout in, in this in this conversation. Uh, really, it does starting. It does start with a promotion of a culture of data collection. In order for you to use data and apply it to your decisions, it starts with collection, and that really is a a cultural change. I've seen organizations even apply that into their their mission statements or their their values of collecting data, and I think that's an important step 
that from the top down, there's an investment that, that the organization is going to spend time and effort in collection. Next is the identification of the measurements that you want to have, you know, those KPIs and understanding the benefits and the reasons why you're investing in the collection. Uh, the last thing that you want to do is collect data without any kind of purpose. Understanding the importance and the, the reasons for that is going to be what is going to sustain you moving forward. And lastly is the explanation and the education of those metrics in the organization so others can interpret and apply that on your behalf. So whether you are at the top of the organization of looking at your KPIs for the organization or you lead a department, or even if you're just an individual contributor, have your own set of measurements that you understand is important to you and make sure that you are promoting it, that you are explaining it and you are educating people around you so you can get them onto the same playing field with you, that you can uh, have the same conversation with them around the measurements that you're using to make decisions. Ultimately, it comes down to it's it comes down to making sure people are aware and people are understanding of why data is so important, not only for the collection process, but also the application process. You know, we I, I was working with somebody um, and they gave me this phrase and I'll steal it from them. Without having information, without having under, understanding of the data that you're collecting, you're not really using data to make data-driven decisions. You're just making decisions. And I think that's kind of at the, the point of it. You want to make sure that you understand from the top to bottom how you are getting those metrics, but how they can be applied. That's great. And I, I love the conversation. I'm super grateful to have you on here, Zach. So thank you, you know, first and foremost for the time. How can people connect with you to learn a little bit more about this stuff, learn more about MRA and how you guys can help them? Absolutely. Uh, so I am available on LinkedIn. I do share a variety of articles as well as some of the research that MRA does for their members. So please connect with me on LinkedIn. You can visit our website, mranet.org for more information and other content pieces that we have for a variety of different you know, concerns and things that are happening within their uh, organizations, but also the long lasting concerns and the problems that exist with every single organization. If you wanna have a conversation about becoming a membership, I'm also happy uh, to have that discussion as well, but either way, we're here to help board, uh, businesses become better and we're here to help employees love their employers more. Great. I'll put everything in the show notes. Zach, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Zach. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next episode.